I'm Kurt, and this is the MFG Cast. everybody welcome to another board games edition to the mfg cast we have a another interview now it's weird because we used to do interviews quite a bit back in the day and then it just kind of like i'll put it on me i sloughed off i was just like well let's just do some other stuff for a while even though it's always fun to talk to different people and stuff like that but we're kind of getting back into it slowly but surely and i'm really excited to have on peter hayward from blue beard entertainment peter thank you for your coming on today Thank you for having me. You bet. Uh, we're going to be talking about lots of different things today, but the one thing that we really want to focus on is Robotopia by Bluebeard Entertainment coming to Kickstarter November 16th. I got it all in one shot. Yes. No one's going to be <laughs> able to hear this because usually I edit everything out, but like as soon as I started talking to Peter before we recorded, I got Robotopia wrong on the first go. I was like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yep, that sounds right. But uh, we got it on the first try. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop babbling. I'm going to stop babbling. And we're going to talk to Peter. Peter, how are you doing today, sir? I'm so good. I had leftover Chinese for dinner, which is, you know, the best possible start to a Saturday. So life is good on my end. Very awesome. That's awesome. So before we talk about Robotopia and like the fun stuff that's coming out on Kickstarter, uh, let's get to know you a little bit better. And instead of doing the whole like, oh, how did you get into gaming kind of thing let's talk about like how did you get into like designing and basically running your own company like where did that all kind of stem from yeah so i am a uh i've I've been a professional creative for 12 years now and basically whatever i'm consuming i want to create so almost as soon as i started really playing board games i was like oh i want to make one (laughs) so making board games and playing board games like hobby games almost came hand in hand I, i started with um Twilight Imperium, as many of us did, and then Galaxy Trucker. And Galaxy Trucker was the one that I was like, oh, there is so much cool stuff going on here. I just want to like make my own thing that does things and, and has bits and, and all that. So <laughs> that was, uh, designing was, was always a goal. Uh, it was always not even a goal. The thing that I, I did right from the start. And then uh, starting a company was largely because I wanted to live in America, which I do now. It succeeded. And getting into this country, I don't know if you've noticed, is very, very difficult. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And so I, I didn't have a college degree or anything like that. But if you run a large enough company that you can get in. So I, in my na- naive way, thought, oh, I'll just, I'll just start a board game company. You know, <laughs> easy peasy. It's mm-hmm. basically free money, right? And uh, <laughs> about five, five years later, it, it did, in fact, grow to the size where the U.S. government gave me a visa. And now I live here in sunny Los Angeles. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I always love the... Oh, I'm going to make tons of money in the board game industry. Everybody <laughs> thinks, no, not happening. No, no. I think you more put more money into it than you actually get from it, I feel like. It's, uh, it's, it's an expensive hobby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So, so just for the people that haven't 
experience you or any of your games like what was like what was your like i i probably know but i'm gonna let you tell like what was the first game that people were like really like glommed onto they were like oh this is kind of cool and i really want to know more about this person so i managed to hit the ground running because the first campaign i ever run was for a little pirate card game called scuttle nice this was back at the start of 2016 and that campaign, I had a goal of 3,000. And I thought, you know, if everything really lines up and goes well, I might hit about 8,000 mm-hmm. and ended up making 87,000. Holy so smokes. That first campaign did well. Uh, and then the sequel to that, Ninjutsu, did 120K. And, uh, and, and they're, they're very, very fun games. There's something about them that really grabbed people. The first game that really made people be like, oh, there is a there is a designer here was Village Pillage, which is still probably our biggest hit. Uh, won the Mensa Select Award earlier this year. And that one, it just uh, it, it just it just works. Uh, yeah. Everything about it kind of clicks. And there's actually a, um, a professor in St. Louis who uses that. He, he buys 40 copies every year because he uses it in his game design class to like teach the to teach how to how to build a quality game. So there, there's something something in that game that I think uh, it really works and that that's a lot of people connected with. Uh, Robotopia is interesting because this is our first sort of larger game. Mm-hmm. We did Cartouche early this year and that's that's like a midweight euro and then Robotopia is our first like eighty dollar heavy euro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I was that was going to be one of my questions too because, you know, a lot of what you have made in the past is a little bit of a smaller kind of lightweight like fun just kind of get it out and play kind of game and now you're building up to this uh, immense robot factory with the Robotopia. So, <laughs> let, let, and all, yeah. all the cubes oh, and <laughs> I love all of it. I it's love got a mini everything. Oh, yeah, uh, everything you could ever want. So let's go back a little bit. So when it comes to like making games and stuff like that, like what's kind of like not a mission statement, but kind of like that in your head, like when you make a game, you know, besides like, okay, I hope it's something that somebody plays, you know, what, what's your like philosophy when you go into making a game? So with the, with the jelly bean games, which is all of our sort of small box games, I was always aiming to make something that could only exist in tabletop. Mm. So Village Pillage, as an example, is basically like playing scissor, paper, rock against, you know, two people at once. You're playing uh, on the left and the right. It's, it's been described as, as scissor, paper, rock, or what do you guys call it? Rock, paper, scissor? You mm-hmm. mix up the order. In <laughs> paper, rock, scissor, rock. Uh, rock, paper, scissors, yeah. Rock, paper, scissor on two sides at once mixed with a prisoner's dilemma. And theoretically, you know, you could jump on an app and play that. But the, the essence of the game is like looking at the person to your left and looking at the person to your right and being like, what are you going to do? And that sort of real life tangible connection. So if you go through the Jelly Bean games, they're pretty much all like that. They're all, there's something about them that's like, you know, you could technically reproduce on an app for a lot of them, but the essence of the game is about uh, connecting with someone in real life. With our heavier games, so like Cartouche, which we did earlier in, in Robotopia, we've sort of t- taken that same philosophy, but because these are, are very standard Euros, not very standard Euros, because these are more typical Euro games rather than party games, uh, we want the real life aspect to be something physical. So again, you can play these games on Tabletop Simulator and, and all that. They're, they're online right now uh, for free. If you want to go to Tabletopia and look up any of these games, you can play them. But Robotopia is all about like scooping up these robots and, and getting cubes. And it's, it's a very tactile experience. And same with Cartouche. Cartouche is a polyomino game. So it's all about like slotting the stuff in. So, you know, you can play it online. But whenever I'm designing a game, I always think, why is this a tabletop game? Why is this not a video game? Uh, I like that. I like that, that um, 
concept because it, yeah, a lot of these games you could easily throw on an app for the most part in today's society because they've done it more you know they've kind of taken right. different things I, I love it i play a lot of these games in apps uh i probably I'm probably up to a few hundred games of seven wonders duel on my iphone by now <laughs> <laughs> nice nice well and the thing that you know a lot of people say when it first kind of happened people were like well then it'll just it'll kill the industry so then people won't want to play these games but like for me it wants me to play them more you know it's yeah. like okay well now i've beat the like say something has a you know a computer player or a solo mode i'm like okay well, i know i can do that so let's see if i can do that with other people or if it has the solo mode maybe i can do that by myself at the table yeah no it's uh i i like games because i like puzzles and the thing about a board game which is not true of video games is that with a board game you understand how everything connects to everything else with a video game you know you swing your sword and there's twenty thousand calculations going on behind the scenes and you're just like this is a good sword this is a bad sword but you don't know what actually made it succeed whereas board games are again speaking speaking in, in general incredibly transparent and so yeah. if i if i you know put my meeple here and do this thing i know what all the knock-on effects of that are. Maybe I'm drawing a random card, but even after a few games, I know what the pool of cards is. There's nothing where I'm like, okay, well, this worked. I don't know why it worked, but I know that it worked. So I really enjoy the about, about uh, board games, the, the puzzle aspect of them where you can see everything. And part of the puzzle is the other players and being like, okay, well, I know that Kurt is going for wheat this game. So I've got to factor that into this puzzle I'm trying to solve where I can't rely on wheat to always be there not because of behind the scenes algorithms, but because <laughs> Kurt is going to put his people there and take all the wheat. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting too. And I think I've talked about this fairly recently actually, is that it feels like it, it's interesting in board gaming when you will play, like say you play a certain person, you play them six different times for the most part. And I'm getting, this is all general. We're all kind of basing generally things are, can be different, but like, say there is a point where, you know, you're the person you're playing with has that same thing. They're just like, okay, well, I'm going to go for this the whole time. So then you're like, okay, well, I can play against that to be able to, you know, be able to beat them because they're going to be kind of going that same direction every time where it feels like sometimes, and again, this is just general. There's not a lot of people. There are some people that do it, but I don't feel like there's as many as there are people that don't. Boy, I don't even know what I said in that sense, but <laughs> I feel like people don't switch up strategies as much sometimes. Negatives there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just, I don't know yeah. that there aren't people who don't not do this never. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, if you've ever heard me talk, that's pretty much me in a nutshell is me just throwing out the same thing over and over again. But yeah, it just, it feels like, you know, a lot of people will kind of do very similar strategies where there's not as many people that switch it up, but it's, it, it's, it's interesting to be able to play against both of those. Yeah. And, and the trick for a lot of these games to, to, if you really want to get good at it. So I'll, I'll use Robotopia as an example. There are these spaces where you, so you're trying to buy and place influence and some of the places that you buy influence, once you buy it, it gets more expensive for everyone else. So if I buy it for four green cubes, it'll cost you six green cubes and the next player, eight green cubes. And Will Kirkpatrick, who's one of the employees at Bluebin Entertainment, is our logistics coordinator, and he also does like dev and playtesting. He playtested Robotopia dozens of times. He, him and, and Sarah um, Perry, who's our, our VP of marketing, they played it together for weeks straight, just testing out all the guild abilities and working out if some were more powerful, some were less powerful. So they really got a handle on the game. <laughs> and we just played it the other day with the team. 
And Will knows that if he sees someone going for that, you know, four green cube thing and he can get it the turn before they do, it not only stops them from getting it, but like disrupts their whole plan. So he, he plays mean. <laughs> it's not a mean <laughs> game. It's, it's a Euro. So, you know, the most you can do is, is disrupt by buying the thing that people are going after. Yeah, in the game we played the other day, he did that, I think, three times over the course of the game. Just saw that someone was going for something and orchestrated things to go on ahead. And he won, of course, because he wasn't just playing the game. He was playing the people playing the game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's the great thing about games is like, obviously that's the thing why they are still going strong because, you know, depending upon person, a person, a person, even if they have the same type of playing, like you have two alphas, does because you have two alphas doesn't mean they're going to be playing the same way. Anyway, they might be a little bit of a tweak in their personality where it plays differently. Yeah. And I think especially with how internet connected we are, which I'm not going to complain about it. It's given me a living for, for 12 years now. There is definitely something appealing about sitting down with no electronics and doing a thing with your hands with friends for, for you know, three hours. Last night, I played a game of Feast for Odin. It was magnificent. And in that entire time, I don't think any of us looked at our phones once. We were just all, all like there with each other and with the game. And you just don't get that much without staring at a screen. Like maybe what, what, watching TV, you'll get it, but you're still staring at a screen in that case. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all about the experience. You know, even this... Uh, you know with the with the um coronavirus virus and stuff like that like it's people it, t- it has taken some people away from the experience of things you know where it's like you know the the cons you know people are maybe going less to cons but as soon as things start getting better and people start going to cons now it's like oh i can't wait to have this experience up front with people and it's like oh i get to see your face again we get to play this game you know and it's a yeah. fun little experience i, I love the connectivity it's about a heavy game too so something like robotopia because you can't be on your phone and doing it at the same time like <laughs> if, if, if you're playing the game you got to play the game and actually even the jelly bean games even though they are so light they tend not to have a lot of downtime. so like village pillage that i was talking about earlier is simultaneous play everyone's always playing their turn and so if one person's on their phone, the whole game has to like grind for when they do that. So people just tend not to be on their phone during these games because it's, you know, it's, it's a game of, of everyone interacting the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's get into Robotopia. So what's the story behind Robotopia? So Robotopia is set in a world, which is just a giant robot factory. The factory makes robots. Uh, the robots work at the factory to make robots and the robots are made out of robots for robots. So it is a dedicated robot factory on every level, and it is ruled by an, it is ruled by the master robot. He uh, he runs the place with an iron fist, literally, and you want to overthrow the master robot, and you know save 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 the robots, and then become the new master robot yourself. That's awesome. So you said that this is you're going you're getting into the Euro games now and stuff like that. So like, what what euro part of this game is your favorite that you feel like people are really going to just gravitate the most towards so uh aj brandon who who works with us at bluebit entertainment and i have, have a disagreement on this point because i think the coolest thing is master robot because the master robots are mini and the way that w- the game works is you have all these different colored robots and once you put it out it's a worker placement game so you put them out on the board and to activate spaces and once you've activated a space the robot stays out there. It never comes back to your hand or anything like that. They're not your robots once they're out. So you have these little generators. They generate your robots. You place the robots. The robots stay out there. Every time you run out of robots to place, you run all your generators and you shift the master robot one space clockwise. Every robot on that space or touching that space gets crushed into a cube. So if there were two yellow robots and a blue robot, 
you would get two yellow cubes and a blue cube. And I find that incredibly satisfying. This is the, <laughs> like I was saying earlier, you know, you, you plop down this mini, you scoop up a bunch of meeples and then you turn them into cubes. And it's just this, this really satisfying experience. Yeah. And I found that that's what a lot of people connect to. AJ would disagree. He thinks that the coolest thing is the way that the workers are actually placed. So you've got all these hexes with six sides, unusually for hex, I realize. <laughs> and yellow robots can be placed in the middle of one hex to activate that space. Red robots are placed between two hexes to activate both those spaces. Blue robots are placed in the middle of three hexes and activate all three spaces. And then green robots can be placed as red, yellow, or blue robots. So you've got this sort of economy where you're constantly upgrading your generators to build your better robots, but green cubes are the most valuable. So if I'm putting out a bunch of green cubes and the master robot comes along and crushes them, then I've just given another player a bunch of green cubes. So it's sort of got different levels of engine building, different levels of worker placement and engagement and uh, all, all kinds of stuff. So those, those are kind of the two big selling features of the game is, is the unusual worker placement. And then the fact that all of your workers can get crushed into cubes. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that idea. I like, I actually, I am not going to, I'm not going to help the argue, argument because I love both of those concepts. So, <laughs> so you were going to be a tiebreaker. <laughs> exactly. Nope. Not going to happen. It's going to be one, one, it's going to be tied. Uh, we're going to have to go to a tiebreaker, whoever ate a pizza last or one of those things that you write down at a tiebreaker that nobody likes because they're like, oh, why? Why do I need this? I want to win. <laughs> so where did the concept for Robotopia come from? So I've just finished writing up this massive designer diary. So it's interesting because I've just been diving through. And Robotopia is actually built on the corpses of like three earlier games. Oh. So I, uh, the, the the whole idea of... Um, placing workers and they get cleared and turned into cubes that came from an old uh, prototype that never worked. And I abandoned called Knights of Atlantis mm-hmm. and Knights of Atlantis. You were placing these workers to get polyomino blocks to place them. So at some point I actually split that game into two games. One became cartouche, which is a game I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And the other one became Robotopia uh, because it was, it felt like it was two games kind of shoved into one <laughs> mm-hmm. in a yeah. way that didn't fit. I, I just played Feast for Odin, which has worker placement polyomino. And I was like, Oh yes. Yes. <laughs> All the things. And then all my playtesters for years were like, hey, why don't you make these two good games instead of one very bad game? <laughs> and so I had I had that whole system where workers get turned into cubes, abandon that. And then I was working on a generation ship game. So a generation ship is like in Wally, where mm-hmm. it's, it's a spaceship that's meant to be self-sustaining theoretically infinitely. And you all played competing AI. So you were trying to like prove to the to the AI that you were the AI who could best run this ship. So everyone was had their own little like grid in front of them that was represented your computer program trying to move all these resources around a generation ship. And it was this little square grid where you could place in the middle of a square between two squares or between four squares. Gotcha. And so these were completely separate concepts. And then uh, I brought them together for a game called Tower Power, which is a tower defense game where you built up these towers by placing these workers on these hexes. And again, everyone was like, hey, you've got a worker placement game here and you've got a tower defense game. Why not make them two separate games? And so <laughs> tower power haven't worked on since then, but uh, I took the worker placement game and forced myself not to add a whole second system on top of it because it turns out that that worker placement game just by itself stands alone really well um, in the same way something like you know, Five Tribes or Istanbul doesn't need a whole second game attached mm-hmm. to it for it to be playable. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's funny because I was just talking with a friend of mine about we were working on concepts for a game and stuff like that. And it's like, it feels like as we work on things, we're always like, okay, so it needs this and it needs this and yeah. it needs this. And it's like, <laughs> you're just making so much more work for yourself where it's like, okay, you have something here. Just work with that, you know? Yeah. 
Got to head in that direction. Yeah, I very much try to take stuff away earlier now. The, the, the famous quote is, um, perfection is not achieved when there's nothing left to add, but when there's nothing left to take away. Yeah, definitely. Uh, they've also done studies, actually, where they gave people like a problem or some kind of physical problem. They're like, okay, solve this. And something like 95% of people solved it by adding stuff. But the 5% who solved it by just removing stuff uh, solved it much more cheaply and efficiently and, and just like won the test, I suppose. And it's always struck me how, as humans, we are always inclined to add stuff and never inclined to take stuff away. So now, as part of my design process, I really, I mean, it doesn't always work. The other day, I took all the costs out of my game and everything broke. <laughs> <laughs> but when you can take something out and still have something that's fun and functioning, oh, it feel, feels good. Yeah. It feels good, man. That's awesome. That's great. So I want to veer off a little bit just because I like, I like trying to ask different questions and the same thing, just keep focusing on whatever. So like when it came, well, it's going to be in the same, uh, same universe, but um, when it came <laughs> to like developing Robotopia and stuff like that, and being able to come up with a design that worked and stuff like that, like, were there any, like, besides what you had talked about, like taking away or, and adding or whatever, you know, was there anything that you like really glommed onto that you were like, you know what, I just, I, you know, maybe someone was like, well, maybe this is something that we need to take away from this game. And you're like, no, I just, I really dig this concept and we just really have to keep it in this game. Yeah, there there actually, there was one thing in particular. So one of the interesting things about Robotopia is it's not a hook in the same way as the other things were, but one of the things that uh, actually, I showed it to Eric Lang in uh, 2019 at Dice Tower Con. Nice. And he was sort of like, yeah, like because I've known him for years because I lived in Toronto where he's from. And he was like, okay, Peter, like, I know you saw I'll play your game, but, you know, I play a lot of games. Why would I play this one? And mm. I, was, I was telling him a bit about it. I mentioned that it doesn't have victory points. And his eyes lit up and he went, it doesn't have victory points because a Euro game without victory points is actually surprisingly rare. So mm-hmm. for me, I'd been playing a lot of Istanbul on iOS. Uh, <laughs> Istanbul is probably my favorite game up there with Feast for Odin. I love, I love them both so much. Don't make me choose. Nice. And the iOS implementation of Istanbul, I think it's, I think it's the same on Steam actually, um, is flawless. It is probably the best implementation of one of the best games ever made. And so I had a, a newborn son at the time. And when you're watching a kid, I, I don't know if you have kids, but it's a lot of... Uh, a lot of watching them sleep and trying not to wake them. So I was playing a lot of Istanbul <laughs> on my phone because that's something I could do while he slept on my chest. And so I was playing a lot of Istanbul. And Istanbul also doesn't have victory points. It's a, it's a race game where the first of five gems is the winner or six in a two-player game. And it's just magnificent. It's just a, a, a perfect design. I love it to bits. And so with Robotopia, I was really like, okay, can I make a game that doesn't have victory points? Because mm-hmm. you know the, the default is always, you know, you're making your own cool victory points. This action does this, this action does that. And I was really interested in the tension that's created from not having victory points. And one of my, one of my close friends, uh, my co-designer and cartouche, Jeff Fraser, he, uh, he, he's probably changed his tune now, so I don't want to misrepresent him. But at the time he was like, Peter, you got to put victory points in. Um, and, and cartouche, which we worked on, has victory points and works all the better for it. Yeah. But with this one, I, I, even when he was right, I pushed back until I eventually got it working without victory points. So that was the one thing that I was like, I, I think I can get this working and it's, Again, I like puzzles. So there's something interesting about the puzzle of an efficiency engine where it's not just efficiency in like creation, it's efficiency in, in finishing first. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, uh, Robotopia, just like Istanbul, has no, um, has no victory points. That was something I held on to until I got it working, even though it would have been easier to, to throw them in and just yeah, say, yeah. okay, cool. Every cube is, you know, every five cubes is worth one. Every robot is worth two, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. Well, I like that too, because it, it almost takes away the disappointment 
or the exhilaration of being ahead, like by a bunch, you know, so like you have your victory points and it's like, I'm up by 10 victory points. I'm winning, you know, or it could be like, I'm down by 20 points. Like, why do I even play? Why do I even take turns now? Like, I could just kind of, you know, screw around because I know I'm going to lose anyway, kind of thing. Right. I like that. It kind of gives you more of a still like, okay, I can still work these out. I can still, even though there's still a end to it, you just have to win by, you know, getting favor for all these call them factions or what i can't remember uh, so there's there's four robot guilds that you're guilds, influence. Yes. so you have to you have to gain their influence and then and then give it to them basically yeah exactly so gain, gain influence and then pledge it to the guilds yeah exactly so it's like you still have a you know an end point that you know you're working toward but it's not as you know big as the you know like i said like these 20 or 10 victory points it's like you only have to get get, get the favor of these four guilds to win so it's like okay I think we can do that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And it, uh, it, it doesn't work with every game again. I'm not saying no game should have victory points. Or anything mm-hmm, like that, mm-hmm. But for something like this, where it is just uh, it, every turn is inherently fun, like activating spaces or clearing them and turning them into cubes. Like uh, yeah, there's, there's something about this that you, you need to drive people forward. And I think having that, that sort of race condition really does that. Yeah, definitely. What's your favorite game with no victory points? Oh God! Why are you gonna ask me questions? I I'm not ready for this. <laughs> um, you know, when I came in here, you said I would be interviewing you. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I said you'd be doing all the talking, not the interview. <laughs> um, it it might be Jaipur actually. So I really like how just very easily it is to just you know play that game, and it's yeah. yeah. Again, um, it that, that one's got a really points. good iOS app. I've been playing a bunch of that. Yes, definitely. And yeah, it's safe. Uh, first to win two games which is yeah. quite fun which is funny because you know two player games you think after a while you'd like especially something like a small card game you think like after a while you'd be like okay i've played all i can play of this game and i'd be done it's, with it but it's, it's so good yeah it's nice to be able I, to play I was sick last week and so i was uh, listening to podcasts in bed while playing ios games <laughs> and so i ended up playing like 12 rounds of Japu <laughs> <laughs> nice. until i eventually won one <laughs> <laughs> yeah no kidding that's another thing about games like that is i usually lose them but it's okay. I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm the person that's okay with losing because, you know, sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. So let's talk about <laughs> the art of Robotopia. So uh, who did the art? What was the inspiration for that? So Robotopia, because it's sort of a goofy premise, it's, it's like, it's a, it's a fun one, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's about uh, crushing robots into cubes and you got this master robot, you know, stomping around the board and all that. It's, it's, it's not like a wacky, silly game, like, you know, munchkin or anything like that, but yeah. there, there is, there is a humor to it and there's a lightness despite being a relatively heavy game. There is, there is a comedy to it. And uh, so I, I wanted, um, I, I wanted the art to reflect that. I, I really felt like robots is not a common theme you see in Euros. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I, I don't think I can name any others that, that do it. Robots is generally, you know, for your Ameritrashy sort of games or your, your combat games, or is this a Euro that's robot themes, mm-hmm. but also feels like it's a robot game because, you know, you're, you're placing these mindless things down. They're not coming back. They're getting crushed into cubes and then you're building more of them. Mm-hmm. Robots really fits. And so because it's a quirky theme and the mechanics are kind of quirky in a quirky world, I didn't want to go with your standard Euro art. Like, you know, yeah. uh, Klaus Tuber, whatever his name is, the, the guy who does all the Agricola art. Yeah. Fantastic artist. Uh, you know, we'd love to work with them someday, but probably not for this game. <laughs> and so I ended up reaching out to my favorite webcomic artist. So there's a webcomic called Bear Tato, which is about the adventures of a half bear, half potato, and his best friend Reginald, who's a bird. 
And I just love it. I've been reading this comic for, I think, 18 years now or something ridiculous. And, you know, it it really shaped my sense of humor. It shaped my writing style. I adore this artist. And so I reached out and said, hey, do you like games, basically? (laughs) (laughs) You know, there there was more to it than just emailing me like, hey, do you like games? I'm saying, hey, I'm I'm a publisher. Have you ever had any interest working on a tabletop game? And he replied straight away being like, I love tabletop games, would love to work on one. So we end up jumping on a call. He played Robotopia. It's a little heavier than what he normally plays, but he got it really quickly and was just like having a blast moving around. And I was like, cool, well, let, you know, let's talk. So we had a chat and he ended up doing uh, the, the, the art for it. Uh, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> well, I'm going to tell the story otherwise. Um, but what's really fun about it is that because he's a comic artist, because it's a funny world, uh, so there's a bunch of action cards that you can play. And this, this is one of my favorite things in the game. They, every action card is very powerful. So it's not like action cards where you, you know you draw five and you'll play two in a turn. When when you play one, it's an event. Mm-hmm. And they all have specific triggers. So when you draw one, you really want to like build your next few turns around landing it because when you land it, oh, you know, the places you will go. <laughs> and so every one of these action cards has a you know art on it from this guy. But because he's a comic artist, they're all they're all like not not flat out jokes, but they've all got this element of humor to them and they all contribute to the world. But my favorite thing is the board, because as I mentioned, the board is a giant robot factory. And so he's just populated this world with all these robots. And there's the four different types of robots. And he gave them all these four kind of really distinct personalities. And the the board is split into, you know, the yellow zone, the blue zone, the red zone, the green zone. But we said, hey, let's make sure that, you know, it's not just all red robots in the red zone. So every every time, if you look around, you'll see like spots where there's three types of robots interacting in in funny ways. And Mm -hmm. there'll be a single yellow robot surrounded by reds and they all... Yeah, if you have a look at the art, they have these really distinct personalities between the four types because yellow is the weakest and green is the strongest and, and, and they go up as such. Yeah, no, he's done an amazing job of putting it all together. And then the master robot who I mentioned earlier always goes under one space. And the other type of robot that goes under one space is the yellow robot. So I wanted the master robot to be a giant mean version of the yellow robot. Oh, nice. So the yellow robot's this little goofy guy with a, you know, a gear because he's the lowest technological. He's, he's just got gears and he's got like a little antenna. And then the master robot is that exact same goofy design, but big and mean and scary. <laughs> and it just, it all, it all comes together so well. <laughs> That's awesome. I like that idea too, because like it, you know, a lot of games they're cool and they you know they really do pop but you know it's nice to have that like almost the story behind it even though it's not really telling a story but you can kind of tell if you're kind of looking enough that it's like oh okay i know what's happening here (laughs) i'm very excited to have been the first person to get uh, anthony who's who's the artist onto a board game because i I feel like after this he'll probably get some more offers Uh, i think he's just done such an amazing job that's great yeah, we're actually doing a thing. So this is launching a new brand. So we've got Jelly Bean Games, who are our, like kids and party games and, and family games. The, the motto of Jelly Bean is, is basically um, kid-friendly games that grown-ups love. The, nice. the goal is to be the Pixar board game. So something <laughs> that, you know, you'd sit down with a kid, a kid would watch by themselves, or as an adult, you would happily watch by yourself, or in this case, play by yourself, because it's just, you know, that, that level of broad accessibility. And then we, so th- this is the first game that we're doing this in this new uh, brand, which we don't have a name for yet, annoyingly. Uh, we, I, I was saying to you before the interview that we keep coming up with names and then discovering that people have already taken it. So we have to just constantly <laughs> be generating new names and then discovering that they're already taken. Uh, so we don't have a name for it yet. So currently unnamed, but this one is going to be, this is going to be a whole line of games that we start from an interesting universe and then build a game within that universe. Oh, nice. So Robotopia is obviously this really cool, like, 
robot factory where uh, you know the robots are making robots and all that. And we 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 sat down and went, okay, what's a game that fits in there? Um, we've got one coming up soon, uh, Agricultists, which is your farmers. So it's a you know farming euro where you're raising animals and then sacrificing to the elder gods to bring about the end of the world. And uh, we, we're we're still locking down the artist, but we found this artist who would just do this incredible like Cthulhu esque goat and Cthulhu esque cow and Cthulhu esque sheep, and just like you, you can you can see the world, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, we're, we're really we're really trying to build worlds that uh, that that bring you in, and then gameplay that is is just as interesting and quirky as the world, but also matches it perfectly. Like you know the, these things that are being developed in unison, so they just tie together flawlessly. And yeah. so one of the things that we're doing, this hasn't been announced yet. This is, this is your scoop, Kurt. Ooh, I like scoops. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a stretch goal. So we're very much hoping that we hit it. Is, um, do you remember, you remember back in the day, video games used to have like a, a cover that like swung out? Oh, yeah. So we're, we're going to be doing that with these games. So oh, nice. because every one of these is like set in this beautiful world, when you, when you get the box, it'll have like a, 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 a flap, I guess. Mm-hmm. And you can open it. And so before you even open the box, before you take the lid off, there is this whole massive double spread just drawing you into the world. Nice. And so that, that's what Anthony's working on now. He's coming up with some really cool stuff just to be like, you know, you, you got the front cover, which is very eye-catching and all that. You open it up and suddenly like, oh, this is where we are. That's, that's, that's one thing that we're planning on doing with all of our games. Nice. I like that because it's making it more of like an experience or even kind of its own universe, which is awesome. Yeah, exactly. We're going for very immersive, uh, immersive worlds with with mechanics to match. Yeah, that's great. That's good. Be able to suck people into that and be able to buy into the not only the mechanics of the game, but the narrative of the game, which sometimes gets lost. You know, sometimes we play games and we're like, oh, this is cool. I wonder what that story is. And then it's like, after you play it, you're like, okay, that game was fun, but I don't even remember (laughs) what it was about. We'll just we just played to win (laughs) that kind of thing. Yeah, that, that could that could have been rethemed. And in fact, games have been rethemed. You wouldn't even notice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I always love the looking at um, looking at BGG, and it's like re-implemented by this. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that that was part. Of, that was actually this game. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. So, and sometimes to its strength. I know Leader Games recently did Fort, which was like little kids building a tree fort, which is an adaptation of I can't really remember the original theme, but there's like this heavy dark theme, and you're just mm-hmm. like, oh wow, you know, good on them for for, for turning that into that. Yeah, yeah. There's there's some cool stuff you can do. Yeah, definitely. That's amazing. All right. Well, awesome. Well, I'm excited to see what happens with Robotopia uh, November 16th on Kickstarter. You already spoiled, spoiled or scooped the uh, the uh, possible stretch goal coming up. Might not even be public when we launch that one. uh, Hey, we we we're really hoping to do it. But uh, yeah, that's your that's your scoop. That's awesome. (laughs) I bet you you'll have you'll have a big enough big enough of a output when it comes out that you'll already announce it you'll be like well we've already had enough interest let's just announce to the world hopefully fingers crossed yeah fingers and toes crossed exactly that's awesome so uh before i let you go i want to ask you a couple a couple of quick questions uh a what is besides what you've kind of talked about is there anything else coming up in the future that you are really excited about that's coming up and then uh how people can get a hold of you Yes. So one thing that's coming out is not actually through my company. This is a game that I um, ended up signing with Pandasaurus is a two-player abstract game called That Time You Killed Me. And that one is is literally releasing any day now. It's just stuck at the ports on a boat, <laughs> as, as so many games are, but that one's going straight to retail. So uh, by the time you listen to that, you might be able to wander down to your local retail store and pick it up. It's uh, it's a campaign 
abstract game. So the concept is that the two players, one of them invented time travel and the other one went back in time to kill them and steal their invention, but you don't know which one's which. So you've got to play out the, like what happened to work out which of you was the murderer and which one of you is the true inventor. And it's got, it's got some really cool mechanisms, but the, the thing that really stands apart for an abstract game, especially is that it comes with four chapters. So the first chapter, you know, you open it up and there's these bits that go on the board and they make you play the abstract game in a different way. Second chapter, you put those away, pull out different bits. Third chapter, the same again. And then the fourth chapter sort of combines them in a really interesting way. And so it's all about, it's an abstract game, which again is a puzzle, essentially. (laughs) My favorite description of an abstract game is every turn you are setting up a puzzle for your opponent to solve. If they can't solve the game, you win. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, it has no no victory points also, like many abstracts. But no, it's it's just a really cool, and Panasaurus have done a phenomenal job on the production of that. It looks absolutely stunningly gorgeous the bits are great and every, every box that you open full of new stuff you you will uh you will home alone style throw your hands to your cheeks and, and scream in joy so <laughs> there, there's a big buzz on that too i've actually seen the cover to the game and it looks amazing i i really hope there's a part where like you're on a roof and there's one of you and another one like the other the both people look the same and then you're like shoot that guy <laughs> he's the real peter no i'm the real peter yeah <laughs> Really, I don't, I don't have to wait for the expansion. <laughs> okay, all right, all right, cool. I'm on. I'm on. Oh, yes, that, that that that's something coming out that I'm very excited for. That's awesome. Very cool. So then, uh, if anybody wants to reach you to get a yeah. hold of you to see about what's going on in the world of Bluebeard Entertainment, how can they do that? So we are on Twitter and Facebook as Bluebeard Ent. Sort of like the the walking trees from Lord of the Rings because That's entertainment right. was too long. <laughs> and then I am Peter C. Hayward, H-A-Y-W-A-R-D. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes on every form of social media there is, including the TikTok I just started. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's uh, awesome. I'm, I'm going mildly viral in board game Twitter at the moment because I Googled uh, board game graphic designers because I, I was trying to find a specific person. I was like, I'll just search as broadly as possible and I ended up finding it. It worked. And one of the, you know, Google has those little questions where it like auto suggests a, a question and answer. The question was, how much does a board game designer make? And the answer was, in their first year, a board game designer can expect to make forty-four to $58,000 a year. <laughs> so I just screenshotted that and everyone, everyone's going nuts for it. So yeah, yeah. Uh, follow me on Twitter for more gems like that. <laughs> nice, nice. That's awesome. Well, we're really excited to see what comes up in the future. Thank you again, Peter, for coming on and talking to us. That was a blast. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Kurt. All right. No problem. And until next time, I'm Kurt, and this was the MFG Cast. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.